And as you're finding your place, let me invite you to take out your teaching notes. You're going to want to follow along today and uh, see what God wants to say to you in particular as, as we go through this third part of the series on God's gift of mercy uh, for your lives. And so uh, we have an overarching um, passage of Scripture that I chose uh, that I'm going to be using for the entire series, and I'd like for you to look at this on the screen. It's Luke chapter 1, verse 78. I'd like for you to say it with me, and, and, and say it, wait, wait, say, say it like you mean it, okay? Don't, 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 don't die in it, don't, you got my message. Luke 1, verse 78, say it. A new day will dawn on us because our God is loving and merciful. I want you to circle those two words, loving and merciful. Let me be a little bit more clear with you about this, this concept of God's love for us. Uh, this morning as I was sitting in my office very early in preparation for uh, this time together, uh, I, I felt the presence of the Holy Spirit fall fresh upon me. And, and it says, Tom, I, I want you to look at an affirmation of faith from our hymnal. It's a, one of the old traditions of our faith. It's an affirmation of faith from Romans chapter 8. And, and it's number 800 and um, I think it's 887 is, is the number on, in the hymnal. And I, I just want you to hear me say it to you. Because I want you to understand uh, this concept of God's love for you. It, it says, uh, you know, who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall stress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or sword? You know, all these things. Is all of, is all of this going to separate us from, 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 the, from the love of God? And, and then there's this emphatic, resounding, uh, single-word response. And it says, no. In all these things, uh, we are conquerors through the one who, what? Loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else, get it? Nor anything else will be able to separate me from the love of God. Isn't that good news? What that really means for you is, is that we're all screw-ups. Remember, I said that to you. You got it? And God still loves us. And so what we need to understand is that no matter what we experience in life, no matter what experience might confront us, no matter what experience we put ourselves into by thought, word, or deed, God is still going to love us. And I don't know about you, but I, I need that affirmation. I desperately need that. And then we go to talk about mercy. It says a new day is coming upon us, and God is loving and God is merciful. And I've given you two definitions on, on, this, on, on this word. And it says, what, the first thing is what? Undeserved what? And then unearned? And that's what God wants to give to us. That's mercy. Undeserved forgiveness, unearned kindness by God. So today I want to focus on something that um, you might find challenging today. I find it challenging today. Because I want to talk about God's mercy. God's mercy and my failures. I want you to be thinking this morning about what your failures are. And I want you to be thinking about God's mercy, unearned forgiveness, unearned kindness, and that God wants to come flow upon you no matter what your problems might be. I want us to look at two particular questions 
But before I get there, let me just share this with you. Uh, I, I started thinking about um, three months ago uh, on this sermon. And right during that time, we were going through Lent and uh, then Holy Week and Easter. And as I got to uh, Holy Week, and I got to that day we call Monday Thursday, that day in which we remember Jesus uh, having uh, uh, the Passover feast with his disciples in an upper room. We, we notice that Jesus is, is there, and he, and he takes off uh, the, his robe, and he puts a towel around his waist, and, and he goes around with a, a basin and a pitcher of water, and he washes the feet of the disciples. He's a, he's a servant to all. And, and then we know uh, that Jesus then uh, consecrates the Lord's Supper with the body and blood of Christ uh, in that moment. And, and in that moment, two other things happened that are radically significant for us to understand the love and mercy of God. The first thing that happens is, after Jesus consecrates the Last Supper, is, is that Jesus says, as, as they're eating the meal, Jesus says, and one of you is going to betray me. One of you is going to betray me. And who's that? Judas, right? And so we have Judas who betrays him. Now, we need to remember, uh, Judas is one of those three that Jesus chose uh, to be a, a follower, uh, his follower, uh, for those three and a half years. And so we know that Judas goes and he, and he betrays Christ. He goes to the authorities and says, I tell you, I can, I can get rid of this guy for you, but you just have to pay me some silver coins. And so what does Judas do? He waits for Jesus to go to the Garden of Gethsemane. He waits for uh, Jesus to, to get down there, and he's praying. And when, he, when Jesus comes back for the second time, and he's right there in front of all the disciples, here comes an army of, uh, uh, of soldiers coming uh, to arrest Jesus. And, and Judas says to the head of the army, he says, the one I kiss is the one you're supposed to take away. And so Jesus goes, and uh, Jesus, Judas comes to Jesus, and he kisses him on the cheek. And they take him away. The thing I want you to think about here is that here's one of the closest companions of Christ. And I want you to think about uh, his life and his, his, his being mentored by Jesus, his being uh, uh, loved by Jesus, his, his being uh, uh, just uh, trusted by Jesus to go and serve the, the people. And Judas betrays Christ. And what does Judas do? He goes, and he goes to what's called the valley of death, and he hangs himself. Folks, let me just say as bluntly and as clear as I can, there are people here in this room who feel very similar to the way Judas felt. You, you feel like you betrayed Christ. You, you feel like you have said things, done things against Christ. And you're carrying this burden with you. And while you have not physically killed yourself, you have killed yourself emotionally and spiritually. And you are walking around in a way uh, that is like a zombie rather than with the joy that God has for you. Now, I need you to hold on to that picture of Judas because Judas had a choice. 
Now, I want you to think about this other person by the name of Peter. We know that Peter was one of the first chosen uh, to be a disciple of Christ. We know that he was a fisherman. He was uh, uh, from the city of Bethsaida, uh, which is around the Sea of Galilee. And, and in, in that moment of time, uh, he, was, he, he was fishing. And, you know, uh, why would Jesus ever pick a stinking fisherman? How many of you know fishermen? How many of you do not want a fisherman in your house after they've gone fishing? Yeah, it's what we, we, but they're stinking. And, and so here we come from this fisherman, and Jesus calls him uh, to be a disciple. And I want to follow along in these next few minutes with you about what happens in the life of Peter, which is different from what happens in the life of Judas. And when we can get clear in our minds uh, what distinguishes G, uh, Peter uh, from Judas, we can begin to say, I want what Peter has I don't want to live my life any longer in death like Judas. Are you with me? So I want to ask you two questions today. What causes the problems in your life? What causes the problems in your life? I want to give you three things that Peter did wrong. Three things that Peter did wrong. And, and then I, I want us to be looking at what should I do when I fail? Okay, the reality is every single one of us are going to fail. Every single one of us are going to fall short. There's not a single person in here who can say, I'm, I'm perfect. And so what do we do when I fail? And I want to share with you the two things that Peter did that launched him into a future that was one of the most powerful presence of Christ the world has ever known. So let's, let's begin. So what do I do? What have I done uh, that, that has caused me uh, to live uh, with my pain and my problems? What have I done to cause all that? Uh, the, there are three things I want to share with you. The first is that we overestimate our own personal strength. We overestimate our personal strength. Uh, we, we, so many of us, uh, live our lives as if we are self-sufficient, self-reliant. Uh, we don't need anybody or anything around us. We can live our lives just like this. We overestimate our strength. I think Peter, uh, who, who uh, uh, the way I give him a bio, my bio of Peter is uh, that he was rough and he had a, a very high um, uh, opinion of himself. And, and so what we find here is this. Look at this text from uh, Matthew 26. We're going to be looking at Matthew 26. We're going to begin with the 31st verse. And, and here's where it begins. He says, uh, uh, so there they are. They're at the table. They're having uh, the communion elements. They're, they're sitting there. Judas is, Judas is going, getting ready to go. And Jesus says, tonight every one of you will desert me. And then it says here, then Peter boasted. But Lord, even if everyone else fails you, I will never deny you. <laughs> you get that? Uh, many of us would say the same thing if we were, had been in those same shoes. And then Jesus says, hey, Peter, hey, the truth is that before the night is over, before the rooster crows at dawn, you're going to deny me, not once, not twice, but three times. And P Peter insisted, but Lord, I would never do that. Even if I have to die with you, I'll never deny knowing you. And all the other disciples vowed the same thing. Now, my folks, my friends, we have the 12 closest followers of Christ who lived with him, who, 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 who taught with him, who, who, who traveled uh, a long expanse of property, land, uh, uh, to transform the world. Here we have these 12 people, and, and they, they're coming up and saying, and Jesus says, and one of you guys betray me, and, 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 and of course, Peter, the, the, with the biggest ego, says, hey, nothing you can do, God, 
We're with you, Jesus. We're not going to go anyplace. And Jesus says, hey, you're going you're to deny me. Nah, you just, you, you don't know me. You're going to deny me once, twice, three times. You're going to deny me. No, Peter says, I'll never deny you. And then he says, and every single one of the other 11 disciples said the same thing. Look at this text, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. It says, simply says, if you think I'm strong, I can handle this, I'll, I'd never fall for that temptation, then be careful, for you could easily fall too. Peter says, I'll never deny you. But we say when we're coming into church, feels good to be in church. I'm going to get a message today. And then I'm going to filter that message so that, fil so that message that I filter that I want to take out of here meets with my approval and not what God has been speaking to me. How have you denied Christ? Some of you denied Christ this morning. Some of you denied Christ yesterday. Some of you denied Christ 10 years ago. Some of you denied Christ 20 years ago. How have you denied Christ? By thought, word, deed. We all want to stand up and say, the temptation, we're good, we're good. We don't need to worry about that because uh, we're, not going to be, uh, uh, we're not going to be controlled by temptation. I'll use a, father, a word that my father taught me, bull. And we want to stand there because we're so powerful. We want to puff up our chest and we want to say, I've got control over this. I don't have to worry. I can follow my own path. No. We're all going to deny Christ. Now, I think the next thing is very important for us to look at. So what we know is that then, the, then Jesus took the disciples down to, to the, through the Kidron Valley, down to the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, Jesus says, stay here while I go and pray. And Jesus goes and pray. And when Jesus comes back after praying, all the disciples are asleep, even though Jesus said, stay awake. And they didn't. So then Jesus goes off again. And he prays. And he comes back again. And they're, they're sound asleep again. And so what we have next is uh, Judas comes and brings the soldiers. And as he's bringing the soldiers down, he, he kisses Jesus on the cheek. Who, who pulls out the sword and cuts off the ear of the high priest's servant? Peter, a little rambunctious kind of guy. And Jesus heals the servant. And then the soldiers take Jesus back down through the Kidron Valley, back up to the house of Caiaphas, the high priest, and the scripture says, if you look now at verse 58, number 2, that, that, that number 2 says, uh, if we can just go back one slide for me. Can we go backwards one? I guess not. There we go. See, we, we fear the disapproval of others. Now, now, now go back to the next slide. Here's, here's what happens in this slide. I, I'll let you read it. I'm just, just going to tell you the story. Uh, it says that Peter followed at a distance. And when they got Jesus into the, into the house of Caiaphas, 
that, that what happens is that Peter, one of the translations says, Peter came into the courtyard of the high priest's house, and there he is sitting around a fire to warm himself. And as he's warming himself, oh, a servant girl comes and says, hey, you're one of them. No, 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 no. I, I, I'm not one of them. What are you talking about? I'm not one of them. And, 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 and says again, you're, you're one of them. And, and, and Peter, I think, got a little bit, uh, a little bit in, in her face and says, I am not one of them. And so what happens next? Well, we know in the third part is uh, that uh, what Peter does next is something that we all so often do, and that is uh, that we often start speaking before we start thinking. You ever hear that? How many of you have ever been accused of, of, of thinking before you turn on your brain? Now, none of you, I guess. I, I see some husbands and wives having an interesting conversation. But, but that's what happened in Peter's, Peter here. Well, what we, what we see is that Peter is, is, is there, and, and so Peter is by the fire, and then this girl sees him, the servant girl, and he goes out by the entranceway of the courtyard, and here we have uh, another woman, the Scripture says, another woman comes up to Peter and says, uh, Peter, uh, you're, you're one of them. And, and, he, and he says with an emphatic voice of vow, he says, I am not one of them. Oh, but yes, I saw you there. And then he starts cursing and starts uh, tossing out those four-letter words. That's what I kind of think about the humanity of Peter. And he, and he says, no, I'm not one of them. I'm not one of them. I'm not a follower of Christ. I don't know who you're talking about. This guy is some other guy I do not know. I just came along to see what's going to happen. And so what we have here is that we have Peter denying Christ thinking that he's powerful enough in himself that he, that he then, then, then somebody says, oh, you're one of them. So he's really concerned about what other people are thinking about him, what other people are saying about him. And he says, no, 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 I am not one of them. And then, and, and then we just have this, uh, we, 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 we get this thing of, uh, he starts speaking before he starts thinking and, and, and he has this complete denial of Christ. Okay? Are you with me? So now let me take you back to Judas. Judas had a moment in time. Judas could have said at this very moment, before he went and killed himself, he could have remembered something. Judas could have remembered, Jesus said that no matter what I do, I am loved. Peter comes to that pivotal moment, and Peter says, I can deny Christ and live my life just like the other 12, other 11, and deny Christ the rest of my life. And that's, that's the point that he's at right here. Now, folks, you've got to listen to this, because this is going to be Transformative. Because the next thing is this. What do we do when we fail? What do you and I do when we fail? We had Judas failed, he killed himself. We have Peter who's failed, he had a choice. And when you and I, have a ch when you and I fail, we have a choice to make. 
And so what happened here is two things. I think the first thing that Peter does uh, that is different from what Judas does and what is different from the way many of us treat ourselves when we have failed, when we have fallen short of the glory of God, is that Peter grieved. Peter grieved. I think, first of all, I think Peter confessed, and then I think Peter grieved. He confessed his sin. He confessed that he had denied Christ. He confessed that he had fallen away from Christ. He confessed that. And then he grieved. He didn't pretend that it didn't happen. He was authentic about it. He didn't make excuses for what he had done. He, 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 didn't, he didn't try to rationalize. He, he didn't try to justify. He didn't try to minimize all that he had done. Well, what does he do? He grieves. He surrenders. He says, God, I have fallen short of the glory of God. I have fallen short of your desire for my life. Oh, Lord Jesus, come and save me. There's not a single person in this room who hasn't fallen short of the glory of God. There isn't a single person, I believe, in this room who in some, some way, whether it be large or whether it be small, uh, is feeling the burden of denying Christ, is feeling the burden of falling away from the teachings of Christ, who is feeling the burden of not experiencing the fullness of God because we're still living in the weight of this depression because we are still falling short of God's presence. So the first thing that we have to do is we have to grieve. We have to say, Father, forgive me for I have sinned. Father, release me from my burden. Father, release me from carrying this, from carrying this weight that has been a part of me for so many years. Some of you have been carrying this weight for decades. Some of you are carrying the weight from this morning. And so what Peter does that's right is that he simply says, I grieve. I grieve for what I have done. And then what does he do? And then he casts all his anxiety on God. How do we know this? How do we know that there was this, this transformation in Peter's life after he, after he confessed, after he, he shared uh, about his, his failings? How do we know this? Well, because we know that it, there's two books in, in, in the New Testament that are uh, that, that, that are written by Peter. The first is called First Peter. Anybody want to guess what the second book is called? <laughs> Very creative name, Second Peter. So, so what we know is because we have this First and Second Peter uh, is that, that there, there was a transformation in the life of Peter uh, that moved him from his place of paralysis, this place of a feeling of brokenness and hopelessness. There was a sense of this timing in his life in which he said, I can be different, and he became different. Look at this text, First Peter. Next slide, please. Because of his great mercy, God has given us a new life. God has given us a new life by what? Raising Jesus Christ from the death. This fills us with a living hope. See, th th this is the good news is that would Peter ever write this if he had not experienced the transformation and the peace and the love of God? No, he would not have written that, the, that through the death of Christ we have this new hope. Give me the next slide. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. I want to ask you today, can you name that place in your life 
where you have fallen short of being the person that God wants you to be? Can you name that place in your life where you have been alienated from the love of God? Not because of what God has done, but because of what you have done. Can you name that place in in your life where you have been carrying this problem for years? And I simply want to say that the difference between Judas, who killed himself because he was filled with hopelessness, and Peter, is that Peter shared everything. He cast all his fears, all his anxiety, all his anger, all his problems, all his sin on God who simply cared for him. Mercy. God's undeserved forgiveness for our lives and the unearned kindness of God. So what shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine? Romans 8 says no. In all these things we are more than conquerors through the one who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from what? The love of God. God loves you. God wants you to have a Peter experience. God wants you to be restored from your past. And what did Jesus do? What did God do with Peter? In Matthew 13, Matthew 26, verse 13, verse 18, it says, And Peter, on you I will build the church. So Peter was forgiven. And the church that we know today is here because of the work of Peter throughout the centuries. God wants to forgive you. God wants to restore you. God wants to use you for the good news of Christ in a world that is broken, in a world that is in pain. Let's pray. God, I pray that those experiences like Peter had of being relying upon his own power or being concerned about what other people think. God, I just pray that we can just put that to rest and place our lives into your power. Place our concern into our desire to just be a servant for you. So come, Holy Spirit, transform us this very moment, I pray. Amen. Amen. I'd like to invite you to stand as we sing this last song.